couple of things I want to start off with, a couple of statements you probably know very well. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And then don't reinvent the wheel. If you're like me, you've grown up, you've heard these, you've probably said these, and many times we say these without even really thinking about them too much. We don't go into too much depth of thinking what's at the root of these, but at the heart of these statements is something actually very powerful, something that takes hold of people's lives and without them even knowing many times. They're unaware. It's called a habit. A habit is very powerful because it's something that's done almost without thought, almost without recognition, without concise effort or intention many times. Many times it doesn't feel like a a choice, it just feels like something that has to be done. It's something that's in our, what we call, routines. We have these all the time. It's something you do every day. You never really ask each day, am I going to do this because it's a habit. It's something you don't have to write down on your schedule. It's nothing you have to put in your phone as a reminder. It comes naturally. Habits are powerful because they're learned over time. They sneak into our lives. We don't even realize it because there's no grand entrance. There's no parade for them. Typically for most people, habits are things that you don't sit down and write out and think, okay, when this happens... This is what I want to be my response. Most of the time, they are things we have seen from other people, we've picked up, they're taught or caught, and they're very rarely intentional. Now, obviously, we have some bad habits. You can probably think of this. Um, In fact, somebody I work with, I won't mention names, thanks, Julie, Um, but she pointed out that uh, she said, whenever you get nervous or something, you start picking your nails. I'm like, well, well, I know this. I just didn't know everybody else knew this. I thought that was just me. Like, uh, but we have these bad habits. You can probably think of these. Something, uh, think about this bad habit. I don't know if you would think of this as a bad habit or not, but what about the habit of negative thoughts? Think about this. Whenever there's a scenario that arises, the thought automatically is negative instead of positive. Whenever you get an email or a text from somebody, somebody says something to you in passing, somebody does something, you don't have the full context of everything, and yet what our mind can sometimes do is automatically default to go to the negative. Now, there's a positive choice, but we don't usually select that option. It's just like when you're buying a new car, all right? You go and you want a lime green, I don't know, Prius, obviously. We know that's at the top of everybody's list. A lime green Prius. You never see them out on the road, but as soon as you start looking for that, what do you see everywhere? The lime green Priuses. Now, they didn't all of a sudden show up just when you wanted to buy one. They were always there, but you never noticed them. And so just like with negative thoughts, it's a bad habit. There's always the positive option you could go with. You're just not aware of it. And so it's this bad habit. Now, there's also good habits. There's positive habits we have. Think about this for yourself. What positive habits are there that you have? We have, okay, brushing your teeth. Those probably aren't conversations you have debating whether or not you're going to brush your teeth. Uh, Starting your day off with a shower. And let me encourage you, if you have not instituted that habit, do that now. Um, We've got good habits of all kinds of things. We say thank you whenever somebody does something for us or gives us something. It's not much of a choice. It just kind of flows off the tongue. 
So I want you to take a second and just think about this for you. What habits do you have? In fact, what habits have you even done just this morning with getting here today? What kind of habits are there in your life? We call them routines, whatever it may be. Habits are powerful, and they're powerful because we like habits. As human beings, we love habits. We love processes. We love systems because it puts us in control. After all, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Don't reinvent the wheel. That's why we like doing it over and over and over again. We like habits. We like routines. We like this stuff because at the core, we can have control. We can play God almost because there's a predictable outcome. And so it gives us this power over even a small area of our lives, and we like it. And if you had the same ingredients at the same exact measurement, put them in the oven for the same exact time, at the same exact temperature, you're going to get the same result every single time. So we like that. We like being able to predict the outcome because it gives us a little bit of control. Did you know Kodak? I don't know if you even know Kodak. Uh, Kodak was a company that had uh, film that you put into a camera. I never actually did this, but I saw my parents do it several times. Um, Yeah. But Kodak was a company. They actually had this technology before other companies had this, this little company called Instagram. They had the same exact technology. They had the same exact opportunity where they could capture people's pictures digitally and they could upload them. The problem with Kodak was they didn't do what Instagram did. They didn't allow people to share memories. What they focused on was if we can get them to upload their pictures, then we can print their pictures for them. They were so focused on the physical pictures that what it ended up doing was killing their business and they went bankrupt. Now, they didn't want to reinvent the wheel. They didn't think they were broke, but now they're broke and it's too late to fix it. And many times we do the same thing. They had the opportunity and they missed it. In fact, Dr. Henry Cloud says this, we change our behavior when the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of changing. Consequences give us the pain that motivates us to change. Think about how hard-headed we are. We're so reluctant to change. We don't want to risk the outcome that we think we have a little bit of control over for changing the habit or the process that's hurting us until that pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of changing. And so you think about this. You go to the doctor. Your doctor tells you, hey, you need to start eating better. You need to start exercising. You need to lose some weight. You need to do this. You need to do that. Okay, okay, I'm good. Until it gets to the point of, hey, if you do not do this, it could cost you your life. Okay, you make a good point. Maybe I should change. We do this so much. Habits are powerful because we don't realize how much they dominate our lives. We think we're in control, and really these habits are. Now, I asked you, think about what habits you have in your life. Think about what you did this morning. I don't know how many you actually thought of, but I can tell you it's not enough, okay? In fact, Duke University, the most prestigious, best college out there, obviously, um, they did a study, and they showed that at least 45%, at least 45% of our waking actions, our waking behavior is habitual. It's not a conscious effort. It's not a choice. It's what you do. 
Think about that. Habits are so powerful. And so, again, it goes back to we like habits. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Don't reinvent the wheel. Now, here's the thing. There are books out there, a lot of books, talking about habits. This is a hot topic, talking about how to hack your habits, how to change them, all this stuff. And that's not what I want to focus on. But what I do want to focus on this morning is one habit that I want you to start that I think I believe is powerful enough to help you in changing some other habits. We like these habits and processes because they're tried and true. They put us in control rather than having to be controlled by something else or being out of control. But can I tell you something? That's not the way God works. That's the way humans work. That's the way we do it because we like it, but that's not the way God works. We are limited in our resources. We're limited in our power. We're limited in our knowledge, and yet God is infinite in his power and wisdom. And so what he can do is he can produce the same result in infinite amount of different ways, whereas we have to trust a system. Think about this with me. When the Israelites crossed the Red Sea, God told Moses in Exodus 14, stretch out your staff and I'll part the waters. Moses obeyed. The Israelites walked across on dry land. Now, later in Joshua 3, God tells Joshua, Hey, I want you to cross the Jordan River, and what you're going to do is you're going to have the priests carry the Ark of the Covenant out, and they're going to stand in the middle, and then the Israelites are going to cross on dry land. Joshua obeyed. The people crossed on dry land. So here's God speaking to Moses and Joshua to accomplish the same goal of getting the people across the body of water, but doing it two different ways. Let's look at another example. In Numbers 20, the people are complaining about water. And so God tells Moses, go to the rock, strike the rock, and water will come out. He does it, it works, and the people get water. Then later in Numbers 20, they're complaining again. And so God tells them, go speak to the rock, and water will come out. But we know Moses is stubborn. He's frustrated the people. And so he goes and he strikes the rock again. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Don't reinvent the wheel. It worked last time. Now, God still provides water, but that's not the way he wanted to work. What he wanted to do was work the same way, but through two different methods. And then look at what God's response is in verse 12 after he did that. He said, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I've given them. When we fail to do things God's way, when we fail to trust him, and when we hold on to our habits and our processes and the systems that we really hold more faith in than God, we fail to believe in God, we we fail to uphold him as holy in the eyes of those around us. So here's God speaking to Moses, again, two different times, two different ways, but producing the same result. What we see here is that God doesn't believe that if it ain't broke, it doesn't need fixing. He believes in reinventing wheels. He believes in doing stuff in new ways because he is the all-creative one. He's the one who's able to do it any way he wants and produce the same result. That's why he's able to say so boldly in Romans that all things work together for good. Why? Because I have an infinite supply of ways to do this. To us, the only way things can work out good is if they go through this certain method, through this certain system, through this process, and if they look like this. And what God says is, hey, I can make anything look good. I can make anything good. Just try me. So God knows in our hearts, as humans, we desire to have that power and control. We naturally 
naturally go towards the habits and the systems. And he says, I want to do things in a new way to show you how powerful I am so you can uphold me as holy. Now, even in how Israel defeats their enemies, think about this with me. He loves working in new ways so much. In defeating enemies, he does it in all new ways. Once they're told to march around the city, once they're told to only take 300 men, once they're told just to encircle the enemy's camp and have torches and scream, once God said, you know what, you don't even have to be there. I'm just going to use hornets and I'm going to drive out the enemy from before you. Another time, God has hailstones come down from the sky. And it literally says that more people died by the hailstones than by the hands of the Israelites. And then Joshua goes on to say, sun, moon, stand still. I mean, think about this. God works in such crazy ways. He breaks laws of science. He doesn't care. We believe the solar system's moving. God says, you know what? For a time, I'm going to stop it to bring victory here. God wants to work in new ways to show off his power. In man's mind, why not just part the waters the same way? Could you imagine being an Israelite and standing there and hearing Joshua's plan? I mean, our first thing would be, wow, well, this is just a young buck. He's not following us. That's not how Moses did it. Moses crossed. He just held out his staff. Why you got to have everybody walk out there? Why you got to do it that way? And yet here, God's wanting to do something new. He says, it's not about you. It's not about the person who's leading you. It's about me. I'm going to do a new thing because I can. God likes working in new ways to show off his power and our lack of power, to show he's in control and not us. Because he knows our hearts so much so that we would begin to worship the method. We would begin to worship the process. We would begin to worship the habit over the God behind it that's working. When we trust God, we exalt his power and our weakness and we uphold him as holy. If we believe that God likes working in new ways, if we believe this and we've seen this, then how should it shape the way we come to God's word? If it's a passage you come to and it's one you've already read, can God work in a new way? Can God teach you again? It doesn't matter how many degrees you have. It doesn't matter if you studied the Greek and the Hebrew. It doesn't matter how many times you've heard a sermon taught on that passage or how many times you've taught a sermon on that passage. Can God not work anew? Isaiah 55, 10 and 11 says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower, bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth, It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. There was a family, and they were visiting a new church, and um, apparently the pastor wasn't that good. Uh, He either wasn't a good communicator or he wasn't a good teacher. Thankfully, y'all never have to deal with that. Y'all are so lucky. Um, (laughs) But anyway, uh, the story goes that the son looked over at the dad, and he was taking notes and just had tons of notes there. So after the service, he asked him, he said, Dad, how in the world did you get all those notes from that? He said, anytime God's word is open, there's always something to learn. There's always something to learn. And it goes back to this idea that God's word is not going to return empty. The snow and the rain go forth for a purpose, and they accomplish that purpose. How much more than is the word of God going to go forth and accomplish the purpose that God sent it out for? 
It's not going to fail. But do we approach God's word with that mentality? Or is it our natural habit to come and expect only to learn what we've learned before or to ignore it together because I've already studied it, I've already heard it? Deuteronomy 3.24, Moses here, he even says, O Lord God, you have only begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. Now think about this. This is the same Moses that saw God turn his hand leprous and then heal it. He turned his staff into a snake. He saw the ten plagues. The Red Sea parted, and then it closed back on the Egyptians. He saw God provide food and water for the Israelites in the desert. He got to talk with God, see part of his glory, and his his face shone so bright that the people couldn't even look at him. This is that same Moses, and he's coming here, and he's saying, God, you've only begun showing me this. How much more do we think God can do? Do we think we've learned all there is to learn about him? Listen, you may think God's done a lot in your life. Do you not think he can do greater things with what's left of your life? God doesn't want to keep doing the same thing in your life. He wants to do something new. Just because you've grown up in church, just because you've read your Bible, just because you've heard a story so many times doesn't mean God can't speak in a new way through that passage. And what that's doing is limiting God. Hebrews 4.12 talks about God's Word being living and active. Think about that, living and active. It talks about it like a human, not like an inanimate object. God's Word is unlike anything else. It's not like any other book or textbook. It's living. It's active. It's like a relationship. And so it's able to impact you today differently than it did yesterday and tomorrow different from today. It can impact you differently from 20 years ago and 20 years from now. It has that ability because it's living and active. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But can I tell you something? I'm drastically different from yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We know all too well, especially over this past year and a half, our circumstances can change very, very quickly. And so what we're dealing with today is different from what we were dealing with yesterday. It's not the same. So when I come to God's word, there can be one day where I need to know that God is just and he's righteous. But then the next day I need to come and I need to know that he's merciful and gracious. There are different things I pick out. God's word never changes, but I do. And so it speaks to me differently in my different circumstances. As you read God's word, it creates an opportunity to grow your love for God. As you get to know more about him through his word, it creates that opportunity for you. Listen, simply reading God's word does not create a love for God. It creates an opportunity to love God. Because we know people who know the Bible very well, and yet it's not impacting them. Satan quotes scripture to Jesus. He knows scripture. It creates that opportunity, though. It's a relationship. Sydney and I just celebrated uh, a couple weeks ago our seventh anniversary. And uh, what's interesting is over this past year, we've probably grown more in our relationship. We've learned more about each other than in the previous six years. Um, For instance, uh, just a few months ago, I learned something new about Sydney I did not know, and that is that she doesn't like to order too much Chick-fil-A sauce. I didn't know that was a thing. Um, I like to get as much Chick-fil-A sauce as possible because you never know, right? You never know. So you might as well have too much. You can always just throw it away. It's free. She doesn't like to waste it. She's like, I don't want to throw it away. That's wasteful. I also don't want to put it in a drawer because we don't have room. And of course, now with the Chick-fil-A sauce shortage, we all know Sydney was right. Shocking. Um, But it's a relationship. 
And with God's word, it's a relationship. It's living and active. And so just like with that, you never get to the point where you stop learning. You never get to the point where you stop learning someone in a relationship. You never stop learning from God's word. You never stop learning about God. He has not revealed everything to us through his word. He's perfect in the revelations he has given us, but he's also perfect and wise in the reservations of his word. And so he doesn't give us everything. We can't learn everything there is to know about God. So here it is. I've kept you this long, and I'm just now getting you to the main point. You've hung on. Good job. The bad habit to stop says there's nothing more for me to learn. When you come to God's word, when you're reading it for yourself, when someone else is teaching it, the habit to stop is the habit that can naturally come in your mind that says there's nothing more for me to learn. In order to learn anything, you have to accept that you don't know everything. It's humbling. So then the habit to start, I would say, is to have a pen and paper ready ready to learn. This is something that a pastor once told me. Every time God's Word is open, come to God's Word with a pen and paper expecting to learn from God's Word. Expect to learn something new. This simple act of having the pen and paper ready, it's nothing powerful in and of itself, but it prepares you. It prepares your heart. It postures your heart and your mind as you come. And so it's an outward action, but it's an inward posturing of humility that you don't know everything, there's something God could teach you. And typically, as we know, whether you come expecting learn, to learn something or expecting to learn nothing, either way, you're going to be right. You're going to decide that. It's not for fault of God's word that you didn't learn something new. It's for your fault of coming with a hard heart and just not being open to it. I remember a couple years ago, we had a missionary share with us on a Wednesday night. They shared their ministry like they typically do, and then at the end, they gave a short devotional And I'm sitting there, I've got my notebook next to me, I've got my pen, and I thought, you know what? It's just a short devotional, which I don't know what the difference between a short devotional and a sermon is, but it's just a short devotional. And then I remember having this conversation in my mind, God's word can speak to me in a new way, even if it's in 10 minutes. And so I got out my notebook, had my pen there, and sure enough, when he was done, I had a page and a half of notes. It was a passage that many missionaries speak on. And yet what God was doing was speaking to me in a new way, even though I've heard it many times, because I was simply posturing my heart in that openness, that willingness to learn. The simple habit of having a pen and paper ready opens up that opportunity to learn. It makes it easy. Somebody talked about they wanted to start a habit of flossing their teeth. And so what they did was they said, okay, I'm going to floss one tooth every day. I mean, eventually you would floss all of them, I guess. But, um, but here was the thing. They said, if I will floss one tooth, what I know is that once I've got the floss around my fingers, which who does that anymore? We have the floss, like we've got the flossers. But anyway, if you're going to floss one tooth, you're already there. You're going to end up flossing the rest. Make it easy. Make this habit easy. Just have a pen and paper out. You don't have to write down a whole page. Write down one thing. Seek to learn one new thing. Somebody said, armed with enough humility, leaders can learn from everyone. So the real question here is if you're humble enough. 
The real question is, am I humble enough to learn? Is my, is my heart soft or hardened? Or as Proverbs would say, are you foolish or are you wise? Do you believe you're going to learn something? Do you believe you're going to learn nothing? Rick Warren, uh, I heard him on a podcast recently. He was talking about this practice he started. He calls it his word, first word, his word, last word. And what he said was, I have my Bible sitting out open on my nightstand. He says, a closed Bible is easier to ignore than an open one. And he said, as soon as he wakes up in the morning, he grabs his Bible, he starts reading, he picks out a book of the Bible he wants to read, and so he goes through that whole book. He said, I read until something speaks to me. He said, it may be a verse, it may be a chapter, whatever. And then when that happens, I say, oh, I need to think on that verse. And then he gets up, he goes about his day, he comes back at night, picks up his Bible, and starts where he left off. He does the same thing. He says, I'm looking for something to challenge me or comfort me. It's the same principle. There's nothing spiritual. There's nothing powerful about having a pen and paper open. It's about the posture of your heart. So what is your heart posture as you come to God's word? What is your habit as you come to God's word? Because I'm telling you, it's broke. I'm telling you, it needs to be reinvented. Do something new, because God wants to do something new. Psalm 119, I was reading this a couple years ago, and there were some things that stood out to me. As you read through there, it talks so much about God's Word. It talks about the benefits of God's Word, from learning it and what it means as you read it. And I just want to end our time with this, a list of what Psalm 119 pointed out to me about God's Word. Just, just think on this. God's word creates an upright heart, it guards me, counsels me, strengthens me, teaches me, gives me hope, comforts me, gives fellowship, instructs me, gives understanding, gives endurance, gives life, gives wisdom, it guides me, protects me, is valuable. It illuminates, it changes my passions, changes my desires, it steadies me, it gives joy, and gives me reason to praise Him. God's Word is vitally important to maturing us into becoming more like Christ. It's vitally important for us in growing our relationship with God. How do we approach it? What's our attitude? What's our habit when we come to God's Word? Will you start a new habit of coming to God's word, expecting to learn? Whatever that may be, will you do that? What does that look like for you? Because God wants to do something new. God wants to teach you something new. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for sustaining your word, for keeping your word. God, we thank you for how we're able to freely carry your word with us at all times on our phone, in our hands. God, forgive us for sometimes coming and not recognizing the great power your word has to change us, to shape us, to encourage us, to sharpen us. God, would you help us to build this new habit of coming expecting to learn something. 
God, help us to see the power of your word. God, help us to see that you want to work anew. God, help us to be able to relinquish control over the old. God, work as only you can do. Do wonderful things that we can't even imagine. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.